Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to Podcast 135 for January 4th, 2012. A lot of you may have New Year's resolutions, and some of those might include becoming more productive and effective in your own professional life. And today's guest is a great person to talk to about that. He is Dan Markovitz. He's the author of a new book called A Factory of One, published by Productivity Press. Dan was previously a guest on Podcast 52, so you can go to leanblog.org slash 52 um, to find that episode. And I hope you'll enjoy the discussion with Dan about his new book and the application of lean to your own uh, professional work. So again, Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Well, again, Dan Markovitz rejoining us here on the podcast. Uh, thanks for being on the show today, Dan. Mark, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be back. I think it's been two or three years, right? Yeah, it was back uh, 2008, episode 52. Um, so thank you for coming back. And it's, uh, we've got exciting things to talk about. We, uh, you have a new book, uh, of course, A Factory of One. And you know, if you can just uh, reintroduce yourself to the listeners or if, if people didn't hear the first episode, um, tell people a little bit about uh, the work that you do. Well, um, as you as you mentioned, uh, I was here before. Uh, my uh, I do have a new book called uh, A Factory of One, which we'll talk about. Um, my focus is really in applying, figuring out how to apply lean tools, lean concepts, and lean principles at the individual level. So when you take a look at the books that are out there now, and you take a look at the way people apply lean now, people are generally looking if not at the full value stream, at least a big chunk of the value stream, large processes. And my thought is, and my, what really fascinates me is, how can we bring those ideas down to the person who works within the stream? It's one thing to take, to take waste out or to improve efficiency or, or to focus on value-creating activities for the stream itself, but what about what the individual does? I see an awful lot of waste there. I see a lot of inefficiency there. I see a lot of frustration that occurs there. Um, and I believe that there's a way to transfer the ideas that, come, that came from the shop floor to an individual office, an individual cube, an individual workspace. And so the book and, and the ideas here, um, to help set context, I mean, as, as opposed to being just a theoretical discussion, a lot of this is based off of consulting work that, that you do, if you want to kind of summarize what some of that work is. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, 
I suppose it's worth saying that the, the title of the book is really a metaphor for my whole approach, which is to say that um, an individual is, is a factory, just a factory of one. So whereas a Toyota factory will take inputs of, of steel and rubber and glass and turn out cars, you or any other sort of any other knowledge worker takes inputs of of uh, data, of spreadsheets, of reports, of market research, and you do your magic, and out comes plans, media strategies, speeches, budgets, whatever it is that you're creating that your customer internal or external values that makes you a factory. It's just that you're not making frozen waffles or toasters. You're making, you know, you're, you're making things um, that generally get uh, printed out on paper or, or emailed around. And so this is based, it's very much, um, the book really shows, not, not only talks about the theory of it, but also the practice of it, which comes out of my experiences consulting. So if we're talking about flow, or if we're talking about visual management, or if we're talking about um, uh, 5S, what does that mean? How do you actually apply it? How does it manifest itself if you were a chef or if you were um, a, a, a pathologist in a hospital or if you're an attorney? So I switch back and forth between the concept and the application uh, as I go through the book. And so when you talk about you know, the professional work, individual work, um, the analogy would, would be that the person is really kind of an information factory. You're, you're processing, you're, you, you have outputs, um, how, how do we make that workflow better for that professional? That's exactly right. That's you, you said it better than I did. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, th- thinking back to you know, kind of back to roots of, of TPS, um, you have to go back to Shigeo Shingo talking about, you know, an operation. Let's see if I remember this terminology right. Um, sharp-eared listener will, uh, will correct me if I'm wrong on this. But, you know, I think you know, an operation is an individual machine where a process would be, you know, I think what we would now call a value stream, you know, multiple operations in sequence, different machines, different stations in a cell. And you know, I think you know, we often look at optimizing the entire flow, but there's still, of course, applications of lean principles to the operation or, or the individual. You know, we want to error proof that operation. We want to uh, do preventive maintenance and, and make sure that that operation can contribute to the overall flow that we're then trying to optimize. Is, is that, do you think, a fair analogy when we bring it back to individuals and, and people? Absolutely. And it's really a mindset, isn't it, right? Because we're, we, for so many years we've been dedicated, we've focused outside, we've looked out at the external and said, how do we optimize that? And to your point, what we really want to be able to do now, or what, are, what I think is valid and important to do, is to start take, turning that focus internally at, onto ourselves. How can I optimize the way I work w- within my environment? When you talk about you know, application of lean principles to individual work, I mean, do you think the most receptive audience or, or areas where this is most helpful would be you know, individuals, let's say, you know, engineers um, who are working in a manufacturing company that is, is practicing lean management or lean principles, or is, is this something that people um, can find value from even, you know, out of context of, let's say, if the organization doesn't do anything at all uh, related to lean? I think that 
the one of the nice things, if I, I'm patting myself on the back here, but one of the nice things about my approach is that you don't need permission to do this. You don't need top management support to do this. You don't need to have the company committed to a full-scale lean transformation. Uh, I gave a talk actually about uh, eight months ago or seven months ago uh, called Gorilla Lean. And it was, I was talking about these ideas and mentioning precisely these things, that because we're working at the individual level, people, uh, the, a person can do that in any kind of environment. It could be the worst kind of Dickensian nightmare of, a, of, a, of, a, of an office with Thomas Gradgrind as your boss. But as long, because you're not trying to change from, from push to pull, or, or because you're not trying to create visual management systems for the entire world, you're not trying to create cells or anything that would interfere with the way the company has been set up, you can do whatever you want because the person, your downstream customer, again, whoever that is, internal or, or external, is going to get more value uh, more quickly. And it doesn't matter what's going on around you. So... You don't need a lean organization. You don't need an organization that understands anything about lean. This is something that you can apply at any time, at any place. Uh, uh, you know, one, one very short story. I worked with a uh, pathologist at a hospital. And the hospital doesn't know anything about lean. Uh, she didn't know anything about lean. But she was struggling uh, her her. her lead times and her cycle, well, her cycle time was about the same, but her lead time for processing her slides, for reading the cases, was expanding uh, dramatically. And it, it was really slowing things down. It was creating a lot of stress. She was staying at the office extraordinarily late. And again, she doesn't know anything about lean, but as I was watching her, I noticed that she was being um, interrupted all the time. She'd start reading a case, and then a technician or a nurse, or an assistant, or someone would come by and bring some new cases for her to read. And the thing is that those cases, she didn't actually have to be interrupted, but they would come over and they'd say, they'd knock on the door and say, hey, Melissa, I've got a whole bunch of slides for you. And she'd say, oh, well, just put them over there. And in the process of doing that, she picks her head, her head up and her uh, off of the, out of the microscope, stops looking at the case to say hello and put the slides over there. And then she puts her head back in to the, to the microscope and starts looking at the slides. But because she's a diligent, careful pathologist, she forgot where she was or she would be worried that she would forget something or miss something. She's in a cancer hospital. She wants to make sure she catches everything. So she would start at the top again. And so it would take her twice as long, three times as long, four times as long, to actually do the to read the case, and so what we did was um, we put we put a box, a cardboard box, very fancy uh, solution here. Put a cardboard box outside her door. We closed her door and we put a little sign above the box that said "Leave slides here." And she and then we created some standard work for her that said every every hour or something like that. She or hour and a half, I forgot what we chose. She would go out there essentially round, pick up uh, you know, a milk run. She'd pick up her new supplies, her new, her new inputs, her new slides, and then she would put them into the queue and start reading them. And, uh, but we didn't use any jargon. We didn't talk about milk runs. We didn't talk about standard work. We didn't talk about lead times and cycle times. We just said, hey, wouldn't it be nice if you could work uninterrupted? She said, yeah, God, it would be great. Okay. 
So what we ended up doing was using a whole bunch of lean ideas. She was pulling cases instead of having them pushed on her and so on. But we never talked about lean at all. Well, it sounds like that would, would be really helpful. And that sounds like you know, that pathologist was in a situation where they could put something like that in and, and people respected it and, and didn't, didn't come in to interrupt. Yeah, actually, absolutely. Uh, in general, oh, you, people can, I mean, it took her a little while to tell people, hey, listen, I'm going to close my door, so please don't knock on unless there's an emergency in this place here, this cardboard box, please put ca- uh, cases there. But people were pretty, were pretty respectful of that. Um, and then her, her colleagues really got to, became respectful of it and, and protected her once they started seeing that she was getting, turning cases around more. Yeah, so it didn't seem, you know, selfish or uh, somehow sub-optimizing. People saw how making that improvement at the individual level improved the overall flow and what others were trying to accomplish, it seems. Exactly, exactly. And again, her, her, her department knows nothing about lean. They weren't engaged in any sort of lean transformation. This was just the very simple way of, of uh, reducing non-value-added activity. Um, and one of the other things you talk about in your book is the idea of um, pull signals and how that applies to individual work, um, daily reminders, other methods. Um, can, can you talk about that? And, and if you have an example for us about that, I think that would be interesting to hear about. Yeah, one of the things, Mark, that's really fascinating to me, and I, and I have not fully worked through it, but it's this idea of information push versus information pull. Uh, we don't often think about information push and pull. We do think a lot about material push and pull in a process, but not so much information. And as I watch people, uh, I see them often struggle. Things are being pushed on them, right? Your boss comes to you and says, here, do this. Or, or a phone call comes in or an email comes in and says, I need uh, uh, do this. And it doesn't have to be done right now. And then people have to figure out, well, when should they handle it? How can, um, where do they slot it into the various, uh, in, into their work days and work weeks? My thought is that you can create pull signals very simply by, or one, one approach is to use a calendar. Um, everyone's got a calendar built into their computer um, and into their phones. And the idea of actually scheduling work so that when, so that at some point you make a plan of when you're going to be working on each particular item. Most knowledge workers in offices with, uh, uh, you know, at a managerial, supervisory level, uh, director level, they're supporting multiple value streams and they've got multiple projects going on with multiple time frames. And it's hard to keep that, keep that straight. The idea of actually scheduling work that from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock, I'm going to be working on, on project A. And from 2 o'clock to 3.30, I'm going to be working on project B. Um, I think then enables you to create pull signals so that you've planned out the proper flow of work that you're going to do. Your computer then tells you, your calendar t- tells you, okay, um, let's, let's pull this into the queue now and start operating on it. So you don't actually have to think about what you're going to do. You don't have to think about when you're going to do it more than once. Uh, once you set up that plan for what you're going to work on, then you're ready to go. The um, Jim Benson, who's the founder of a website called Modus, a company called Modus Cooperandi, and a, a website called uh, Personal Kanban, has a slightly different approach that I think is also valid, which is the notion of creating a Kanban for individual work. 
Um, the simplest form has three columns of uh, a backlog doing and done. The, each item that you're working on, each task, gets its own post-it note and gets dumped into the backlog. And so you could have 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 of those things. And then you pull the work forward into the doing category, into the doing column. Um, this gives you the opportunity to limit your work and process inventory to three or four or five things, whatever it happens to be. And then you move, you march the post-it notes off to the right. After you're done doing it, you move it into the done category. That's the simplest version. But once again, what, we've, what this does, just as your calendar does, it enables you to, pull, to see all your work. Instead of it being buried within emails and piles of paper on your desk, you've got post-it notes that are visual representations of all these things, and you can pull them forward at the right time. I think there are advantages to di and disadvantages to using a Kanban versus a calendar, but either way, I think the concept of making your work visible that can be pulled forward at the appropriate time, I think there's a lot of value there. Well, and that idea of, um, yeah, that personal Kanban, the visual board and the columns um, is very, very similar to the idea that I've borrowed and built upon from David Mann in his book, Creating Lean Culture, the idea of a, you know, a visual idea board yeah. instead of the suggestion box. And, you know, the board has four columns, but it's a similar idea of, you know, a backlog of things we'd like to do. Here's what we're currently working on. Um, here's what here's what's done. And, you know, I know some people are, are using those boards with some of that Kanban discipline of saying, you know, we're, we're not going to start more work until we've completed something to keep some of that work in process down. That's exactly right. And I think that's a really good uh, analogy you've made or a parallel you've drawn, because in David Mann's idea, this the lean culture, it's um, it's taking those ideas and making them visible. And that's, I think, something that people in offices, uh, knowledge workers, are always struggling with. With Work tends to become, and ideas and projects tend to become invisible uh, because they're concepts. They're not tangible. And the ability to put them on a board and say, these are the things that we're doing. These are the things we're working on. These are the steps that need to be taken in order to turn them into reality. That's incredibly powerful. Yeah, and, and kind of in the lines of, of scheduling work, one other question I was going to ask, I, I, I would guess you're a strong believer, I think we've talked about this before, of not working out of your inbox, but working, if you're going to leave something on screen the whole time, that it, it's, it's better off to be your calendar? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the inbox, of course, means that you're, you're responding to, um, you, you end up responding to fires and, and doing nothing but that. The calendar tells, gives you the, the perspective, the context, as Jim Benson would call it, the context in which you're working. So something comes in to you via email or a piece of paper put on your chair or something in your physical inbox or a conversation in the hallway. You need to be able to put that in context. How long is it going to take? What resources does it require? When is it due? And you can't do that. You can't have that context unless you can see your calendar. Uh, otherwise, everything becomes uh, it, it becomes short attention span theater, and everything becomes urgent. It's stuff. Oh, I better get to this now. Well, maybe you don't need to get to it now because it's neither as urgent nor as important uh, nor as pressing as something else that's that's that you should be working on. Now, one other thing, you know, while we've got time here, it might be uh, good to go into is the application of um, scientific improvement 
methodologies or A3 thinking um, to individual work. If you can talk about that a little bit and um, how, how that can be beneficial, not looking at, you know, kind of, let's say, reacting to a problem in the overall process, but um, something that might happen where you would use that in your own individual work. The no, the scientific, uh, A3 thinking, I think, is is as valid to individual work as, as any sort of external process. Uh, it's just a matter of defining what we're doing as a problem. Uh, I, it, when I was at, the, actually, you and I were both at the AME conference in, in September, October, and I remember one of the presenters saying that looking for a tool is waste, but looking for an email, that's work, or looking for work. And that, to me, really sums it up beautifully. There's this notion that, oh, well, if you're looking for a screwdriver, clearly you need a, you need a big dose of 5S, because that never happened. But looking for files is stuff we do all the time. Well, yes, we do it all the time, and that's a problem, isn't it? So if we can start to take away the business-as-usual blinders, yeah, yeah, this is just the way it happens. It always happens this way. Um, if we can take those blinders off, we can start to see waste, and then we can start to apply A3 thinking. Um, why is it that meetings always start 10 minutes late? Right now, no one really thinks too much about it, just the way it is. Ah, people are really busy. Well, have you considered that our, our offices, our, our company occupies two offices or three buildings, something like that, and physically people can't get from one building to another? instantaneously. No one's invented teleportation yet. If, if they had, they, wouldn't be, they certainly wouldn't be working in a, in a desk job. Um, and yet, we expect meetings to go from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock and then from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock, and that's ridiculous. <clears throat> if we can start looking at these gaps, at these problems, at these wastes as, as real problems, we can start to assess what the issues are. Um, there was one gentleman who I worked with this is an email situation, which I get bored talking about sometimes. But he um, <clears throat> he was really struggling because he worked in a company that has offices around the world. And he would need to be able to respond to folks in, uh, he's based in Chicago, I think. And he needed to be able to respond to people in China and Japan, the Far East anyway. <clears throat> so those early, that early morning was very, very important. But he found that he was just slammed with email. He was just totally slammed with email and he couldn't get to them quickly enough. And so he said, there's a real problem here. And I said, okay, well, let's do an A3 analysis. And he started doing an, an analysis very much of PDCA or PDSA. And what he noticed was that 85 to 90% of his messages were internal. Not from the, it wasn't the volume of mail from his customers and his colleagues in China and in Japan. The problem was that this company believes very strongly in creating, um, having wide open communication channels internally. So if someone got married, there'd be a, an announcement. If someone uh, had a kid, there'd be an announcement. If someone had some good news or bad news, there'd be an announcement. If someone was sick, there would be an announcement all via email. And as a result, um, he was, his inbox was filled with stuff that was really unimportant to him. 
And that level of analysis, first of all, gave him uh, a, a sense of hope. Oh, geez, okay, it looks like I will be able to get to this stuff because of the 175 messages I'm getting each morning when I come in, about 120 of them or 130 of them are really nonsense or low-value added, let's put it that way. Um, and so with that, we then started to, he started to figure out, okay, how am I going to start to organize these, these messages, segregate them, delete them, whatever it is, so that I can see the 30 or 40 that I really need first thing in the morning so I can get to them. So that's a real simple example of starting to analyze the problem, which is to say, I can't, I, 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 I've got so much mail, I can't seem to respond, I'm not able to respond as quickly as my customer wants me to respond. Well, it sounds like a lot of you know, the genesis to making improvements and um, using some of these methods is just the recognition of, uh, you know, the way we've always done things um, isn't the way it always necessarily has to be in the future. And helping uh, recognize that and applying lean principles, it sounds like that can be very helpful and, and very powerful um, for, for people in all sorts of industries. So again, just kind of a, to, to summarize and wrap up, I mean, um, you, your book is targeted for, for people in, you would say, what, uh, you know, what, what professions or, or what job classifications, if you can generalize that. I, what I would say is anyone who has latitude and discretion in how he or she spends time. So if, you, if your job is just to process invoices, for example, you don't really have a lot of latitude. You come in and you start, you're punching out widgets, basically. Uh, it's just that it's paper electronic widgets. Um, so if you're a manager, if you're a supervisor, if you're a director, if you're an executive, I think that the, these concepts are applicable and valid and valuable. Um, but, and I think in terms of what industry, based on my experience, it doesn't really matter what industry. You could be in medicine, you could be in law, you could be an engineer, you could be a product developer. Um, if you're inter if you do have latitude in how you spend your time, and if you're interacting with others, I think the lessons here will be valuable for you. Well, great. Well, um, would encourage everyone to check out the book. It's available now. It's called A Factory of One: Applying Lean Principles to Banish Waste and Improve Your Personal Performance. Um, Dan Markovitz, thanks for uh, taking time to uh, share a little bit about your book today. Mark, as always, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.